We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFB Nation All-America podcast presented by Twisted Tea. I'm Bill Trochi, senior editor at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, our national college football writer at SportingNews.com. You can follow Bill on Twitter, BillBender92. You can follow me at Bill Trochi and keep an eye on the main Sporting News account at Sporting News. Bill, we are coming off two straight years of unbelievable semifinals uh, last year's championship ended up being a dud after those two great semifinals. This year, I don't think we're going to have a dud. Uh, give me your just your first thoughts from from Monday and how how just you know two years in a row we've had unbelievable semifinals. Yeah, I mean it was fun, you know, and, and the, it kind of played out like we thought. I mean, I got both games wrong, and I don't care. <laughs> I literally don't care because it was fun <laughs> to watch. I I think. You know, and especially being in Big Ten country. I mean, finally, the Big Ten pulled one off against an SEC powerhouse. Now, uh, they were both fun games in, in different styles. You get an overtime game, big viewing, you know. Uh, we'll get into Michigan here a little bit. But, I mean, I just keep telling you and Elliot and everybody at Sporting News, they don't care. They don't care that people want them to lose. And it's just <laughs> you're you're adding to it like – you know, whether it was Penn State. And, I, and I'll and i be the first to admit it. I picked Ohio State to beat them. I picked Alabama to beat them. Because I thought, you know, it's got to end sometime. But they just keep using it. And they don't care. They do. And uh, they don't. And then Washington, just Michael Penix is the, the hottest name in college football right now. As always, I take a measured approach. I mean, I, yeah, he's played great. But at the same time, that was one play away from them coughing up a, was it, a 13-point lead? I mean, yes. they, they went from one great play at the end of the game from being one of the biggest choke jobs in college football history. So there's a little bit you got to take. Yeah, no, there's no shake in the head. That's what it was. Dylan Johnson got hurt. Like, that wasn't a choke job. I mean, literally, that's why the, there was a game. So They let them go 80 yards in like 10 seconds, <clears throat> like two passes, and – if Texas doesn't do a throwaway swing pass on the first play, they might lose that game. So 
no matter fluky things happen. I understand that, Bill, but you, Michigan goes up 13 in the championship game. They're not they're not choking that away. Mm-hmm. Big Ten teams don't do that. We'll see. We'll see. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, speaking of Michael Penix, before we get into the games, Trochi Trivia. Michael Penix is trying to win a national championship for Washington this weekend or Monday. Who's the last quarterback to win a national championship for Washington? That's Chitrochi Trivia. See what you can come up with. Uh, We'll revisit at the end of the show. So, yeah, let's start with the Rose Bowl. Unbelievable. Everybody loves the setting. Have you been to a Rose Bowl? I know you've been to the Rose Bowl, but have you been to a Rose Bowl? I went to Florida State in Oregon the first year of the playoff. That's why all of this was – okay full circle for me in so many ways it it reminded me of the first year of the playoff where there was so much excitement for the Rose Bowl now the teams are a little jumbled here for the analogy but when Ohio State beat Alabama it was such a momentous moment for the Big Ten and 10 years later Michigan's able to do it the only two teams that beat Alabama in the semifinal right so it's fitting that it's those two and then you know Michael Penix much like Oregon in that Rose Bowl I was at you know, Oregon blew out Florida State, right? An established blue blood, all those things, defending national champion. So it kind of is the same lead up to this title game. You know, Washington's the hot team, hot quarterback, fully capable of beating Michigan. Michigan, you know, they got over the hump. They they won the big game and they did it in dramatic fashion. So yeah, it, the Rose Bowl is an amazing place. It's an amazing setting. I know our editor, Elliot, doesn't think of high. I, I'm one of those guys that I think they should play championship games there because it's the best setting for college football because of the history. But I'm a Big Ten guy immediately. SEC guys might say, "Hey, that was the uh, you know that's the Sugar Bowl or the Orange Bowl," and I and I would totally agree with them as well. Yeah, it's a issue that's bubbled up. Kirk Herbstreit, of course, mentioned it uh, Tuesday that he thought. Uh, the, every national championship game should be held out at the Rose Bowl. Chris Fanini, the athletic, wrote a column agreeing with him, uh, admitting that he was the Big Ten kid growing up and reaching the Rose Bowl was the pinnacle as, as a kid uh, in the playoff. I don't know. It, it, we, you hear stories, I haven't been, that it really needs an upgrade. It's kind of run down. The traffic situation is not great. Like There's a lot of logistical issues 
with the game that people put up with because it's surrounded by mountains and it's beautiful and all that stuff. And when you have a championship game, I mean, last year it was in Los Angeles and they had it at, at SoFi. They didn't have it at the Rose Bowl. So, and, and you were there. I mean, that was a beautiful stadium and a lot of, you know, modern conveniences type of thing. So I don't know if, uh, if the pageantry would be worth the trade-off of like the logistics of actually holding a championship game every season. Oh, I won't talk down about SoFi. It was nice, but I don't need those things. I mean, I don't press box. You know, the, one of the things, the first time I went to the Rose Bowl, our, our old photo editor at Sporting News told me, he said, just walk up the tunnel and feel all that history. And it's exactly what I did. You know, as somebody that grew up, with Charles, well, not, I'm not old enough for Charles White, but I'm saying like <laughs> Tyrone Wheatley and then Joe Germain, Charles Woodson, all these guys from the, the, the 80s Rose Bulls, um, even back to Lorenzo White, like you walk through that tunnel and you're like, these dudes walk through this field and it's such a special college setting that I, yeah, you can upgrade the amenities, that's fine, but I don't need those. I'm one of those guys that I don't need those things to to appreciate what I'm watching. I think that's part of the allure of it. Now, at the same time, the SoFi Stadium is pretty awesome. It's like a spaceship. So, you know, I, I get it both ways. And I get that. But you can't tell me like that game or like, you know, we were talking through it Monday night. You know, the Georgia-Oklahoma Rose Bowl, one of the best, if not best, semifinals. The Texas-USC game, it was at the Rose Bowl. It, that it, there's just something about that place. It's a little, people can make fun of the sunset, whatever they want, but until you've done it, I tell people, you, you know, you do that game once. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I hope to, at some point uh, in my career, uh, be out there for it, but yeah, it's an interesting debate. I'm more married to the fact that I want the national championship on January 1st. And I want everything backed up into December more so than I want it at the Rose bowl. But uh you know, that's a discussion for another day. Let's get back into Michigan and Alabama. How do they do it? How do they do it? How did everything was going Alabama's way? Uh, in the second half, Michigan could not move the ball. Alabama was taking a lead. Alabama stopped them. Uh, Jalen Milrow then just fumbled the ball away, stumbled and fumbled. And, and, and that turned the momentum a little bit, although Michigan was unable to capitalize. With their missed field goal, they stayed behind. Alabama comes down, kicks another 50-yarder, and the odds are against Michigan at this point. They're down seven points. They haven't moved the ball the entire second half, and there's only four minutes to go. Well, Alabama made great adjustments. It felt like watching an NFL game. That's why I love that game so much. And you and I joke back and forth about it. I'll watch that game all day over the 50-42 to garbage of blown coverages and those kind of things. I'll watch the game where like one or two mistakes makes the difference. And, and Saban and Harbaugh know how to coach. I mean, Alabama, you mentioned it to me, like they, you know, the playing the field position and making Michigan work and Michigan's running game. First quarter, they had 66 yards rushing on 10 carries. Second and third quarter, the running game wasn't there. So like this talk of that, yeah, I, I can sit here and say Michigan pushed them around. Alabama kind of responded. Um, on the flip side, Alabama wasted a half of the game trying to figure out Michigan's pass rush. That was probably the biggest su- surprise for me is that they got five sacks. Alabama couldn't pass the ball. Alabama's running backs were okay, but they weren't like McClellan didn't take over the game. And, uh, you know, it, it comes down to this. And we had this debate in our college football meeting yesterday. 
like anybody that doesn't think JJ McCarthy's clutch or will do well in the NFL, I'll, I'll fight him on that. I mean, takes him down. He's calm. He makes the plays. And um, Blake Corm and JJ McCarthy made the plays in clutch like they have for two years. So what else is different? He did. He drove him down. But I mean, you and I could have made those throws. To, to the fourth down throw to Blake Corum was beautifully designed. Alabama had a busted coverage. And, you know, Corum goes out there on fourth and two. No one near him. I think Grant Bender could have made that completion. And then uh, on the tap, touchdown to Roman Wilson. Same thing. He comes in through, and there's no one within five yards of him. McCarthy throws a six yard ball that was in the air for six yards, maybe. No problem. He did make a clutch run down the sideline during that drive. He also had that ball that was tipped and, right. and, and was elevated a little bit. And Michigan made a great catch on that. That was a good throw. Um, so he did direct the drive. But, like, I want to give credit to Sherrill Moore. I talked to you about that. Just, like, I don't know if it was just brilliant play calling, timing, scheming, uh the way they had defended earlier in the game, and, and he saw that this was going to be wide open. But those two plays were just so well designed that um, Michigan took advantage. Yeah, and, and they did. And, you know, obviously, I was thinking about this last night. Blake Corm scored three of the most memorable touchdowns maybe in Michigan history this year. He closes out Penn State with a touchdown run and you know he points to his wrist and to make fun of Manny Diaz who deserved to be make fun made fun of at that point um he scores the the big touchdown against Ohio State that turned all the momentum and then he he scores on that run in overtime where he you know there's a lot this is one of those things that and we're in the business of it Bill where I I, I don't care how he does in the NFL he's an amazing college running back much like I don't care how Dylan Milroe does, or I really don't care how Michael Penix does. I know we're going to talk about him in a minute. I don't care about his NFL career. He's a fantastic college QB. So, you know, Blake Corum on that touchdown run is quite amazing. And like I said, those two made the plays and then their defense. I mean, we can get into the call if you want at the end, but um, I have heard so many variations of this Jalen Milroe goal line play that I don't know if it was good or bad. <laughs> So one thing about Corum, because I remember you have you've said on this podcast that if it's fourth and one, you're going to give the ball to Blake Corum, no matter what. He's going to get you that one yard. And the situation arose at the, at the end of regulation after they botched like their fifth punt of the game, uh, and they had the ball inside their one yard line. What would they do? They ran the ball up the middle to Blake Corum. I mean, a tackle for loss loses the game, ends the season. Alabama wins on the safety. And I don't think Alabama played that play like with the urgency it deserved. They didn't line up like it was fourth and inches game on the line. They played a short yardage D, but it wasn't like nine guys in the box. And you know Michigan's going to run it up the middle. That's just what they do. And and they got the yard to the two-yard line got it to overtime, et cetera. So, so I thought that was a missed opportunity by Alabama. They were just like, yeah, I mean, well, they, they might run. whatever. And instead of like literally you could win the game and possibly the national championship if you get a tackle for loss on this play, and I didn't see any, them do anything special. No, they didn't. Well, I mean, a couple of things. The play before that, Jack Thal, I mean, we talked about <laughs> that too. He fumbles the punt, but he saved their season in a way. But why did he even catch it? Just I, I, he, Yeah, I got you. Like, 
What are you doing? Their special teams is going to have a long week because they got to figure out punt returner. They, those were the mistakes. Well, they benched their other punt returner to put this guy back there, and he tries to catch it at the five yard line. Like, do they have a third string guy that can screw up too? <laughs> right. Like that was the 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 curveball because you had talked last week about Michigan not beating themselves. That was their way of trying to do it. But the presence of mind to pick the ball up at the one, he got smoked on the hit. Like if he fumbles the ball out of the end zone which could have happened, Michigan loses. And it's the craziest. It'd be just on the list of their heartbreaking losses. Instead, picks it up. Like you said, they get the one yard, um, sets up overtime. But, yeah, I, I'll stick on that. Yeah, fourth and one. But that was, like, that was to me, that just reminded me of what you said. Quorum can get you to the yard when you need the yard. And, God, did they need the yard right there. And they got right. it. So, um, all right, let's real quick touch on Alabama before we move on to the Sugar Bowl. Where does this leave them? Where does this leave Saban? Feinbaum hinting that he might retire. Maybe he's just stirring the pot. You know, how does this Alabama season remembered? I think ultimately Jalen Monroe just wasn't good enough. You know, I think there was opportunities to stretch that lead and he wasn't able to do it. And, you watched the game. I actually rewatched a lot of the, the game the next day. And it's just Milrow is cannot throw a 20 yard pass down the middle. Like he can do a play action and he gets back and he plants his feet. He's, he can throw a beautiful deep ball. We saw that against Texas actually early in the year. He can throw the nice deep ball. He's obviously a great straight ahead, you know, scrambling kind of guy. Uh, but he can't drop back in the pocket and throw a 20-yard out or 20-yard over the middle pass, and that limits your offense. And ultimately, you need to, you need to be able to do everything at all three levels to beat a Michigan. I agree. And, you know, there's the school of thought that they kind of overachieved, but that's Alabama, man. Like, overachieved. Like, it's, you're graded on a different curve. You know, they did beat Georgia, which after watching Georgia in the Orange Bowl and watching Alabama, I'm like, how did that happen? because I think Georgia would beat all of these teams in the playoff, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, Alabama, that it comes down this what they're going to hear. As for Saban retiring, I hope he doesn't do it until at least I get back from Houston. <laughs> like, please don't do that while I'm on a plane. Um, you know, and then the fourth down call. So here's what I've heard both ways, that it would have worked because the snap was low. It would have worked, but Josiah Stewart pushed uh, J.C. Latham into the play. It would have worked. It would have, it would have, would have, would have. You ran something into the strength of Michigan's defense. So there were so many ways it wasn't going to work. You've got to get him on the edge, run past options of sorts. I get what they were trying to do, and people can say it was there, but the reason it wasn't there is because Michigan ac- executed with the strength of their defense. So that one's going to haunt them for a while. You know, running the, the anytime you have a fourth and goal, you got to get the ball in the end zone. And yeah, so I, I mean, yeah, I don't know if Saban will retire. There's some, there's going to be talk about the coordinators. We're working on our early top 25. You and I have started to talk through that. They're going to be in the top five, spoiler alert. But <laughs> um, I'm doing the SEC. The SEC is going to have probably like five top 10 teams. So, and look at their schedule. They play Missouri, they play Texas, they play Wisconsin, they play Georgia, they play LSU, they play Tennessee. Not going to be easy for the Tide next year. Yeah, yeah. So, 
Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a powerful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experiences. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. All right, let's move on to the Sugar Bowl. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, I wouldn't call it undercard, but uh, it was the the sequel to the Rose Bowl. And uh, came down to the last play. Both games came down to the absolute last play of the game. I thought the Alabama-Michigan last play of the game was a little – a uh, little bit of a letdown, a little anticlimactic. He just ran up the middle and got no no yards. Great play by Michigan, of course. But the last play of the game in Sugar Bowl was incredible. I mean, just an amazing defensive play. Uh, you don't even see cornerbacks like swing their arms and, and bat a ball away like that. That was like a, a Dikembe Mutombo block shot and uh, sending it into the third row. It was, you know, win or lose right there on the last play of the game. So, what what did Washington do uh, to to win that game? Well, they played. They went right at Texas in the passing game. They went, but I obviously, you know, we talk about how I coach basketball. Penix is the high volume shooter, and he was on fire. So, like when you have the high volume, it's okay if he goes twenty eight of fifty, but when he's like eighteen to nineteen or eighteen to twenty one, then the other team's in pro in a trouble. So their offense was in a groove in the passing game, which to be expected. They you mentioned they didn't run the ball well, but that was expected too on some level. Yes. That was actually my prediction in the in the unsportingnews.com. I said that they would try to run the ball and they wouldn't be able to. And the final numbers were for their running backs, uh twenty seven carries, seventy one yards, two point six yards a carry. Didn't think they'd be able to run it. Was going to have to be on Michael Penix's arm, and uh, and it he was, yeah. And, and he played the best game of his career. I mean, if you look at the the QBR rating, which is as good as any other passer rating type thing, that was the best game of his career. And I don't see anything that really disputed that. I think he's had nine over the last two years, nine games where his QBR was a ninety or above. And this was the top one out of all of them, 97.6 or something like that. So people who tuned in and were like, boy, this Michael Penix is good. And he was. This is the greatest game of his career. He he doesn't play like that all the time, but he is very capable of of doing what he did. And it it just all came together. I laughed at that a little bit of like this. People are like coming to this. What is it? Like just epiphany that he's good. No, he's been good for two years, guys. Like. (laughs) He's a really good quarterback, and we're and we'll we'll preview Michigan more over the weekend. But I mean, here's what it comes down to: this game on the week on Monday, Mike Penix is a 45.3 completion percentage when under pressure. If Michigan gets pressure on him, 
they'll be okay. If they don't, it's going to be a long day because he'll get it to those receivers. I make the made the comparison yesterday. Everybody wants to talk about this 2020 game between Indiana and Michigan, which is just, yeah, Michael Penix played in the game. And if you listen to the teleconference yesterday, he's not taking much stock with it because, and with good reason, Michigan was terrible. Aiden Hutchinson was hurt. But, it, I mean, it shows that he knows this the team at least, but not the scheme. Um, and Michigan, this will be their biggest challenge since Ohio State in 2021 when the receivers were Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Marvin Harrison on the bench. So it's not like Michigan hasn't seen this recently. So it's just like choosing which part of the past you believe. But yeah, if Penix is on fire like he was Monday, Michigan could be in some serious trouble. It was interesting. So Michigan, I don't think they blitz very often, generally speaking, because their front line can get home. But they blitzed a lot against Alabama, and I think that caught Alabama off guard. And that might be the way to to attack Washington as well, is to blitz um, because, you know, Washington's offensive line is pretty good. Penix, they didn't give up a sack against Texas. Texas has a good defensive line. So, I mean, their blitz was so effective against Alabama. I would expect to see that a little bit more on Monday night for them. Good uh, matchups in the secondary, too. Um, you know, how do they use Sandra still in the slot? How do they – NFL draft Knicks are going to like Will Johnson versus Rome. That's going to be a fun matchup. Uh, we'll find out how good Michigan secondary really is. TCU torched them a little bit last year. So, that's the interesting thing. It's like – to me, and again, we'll talk more when I get into Houston, but which style wins out? And, and it's just – well, Go ahead. I was going to say that these uh, – Penix and these receivers make plays even when there's great coverage. That's the discouraging thing from a defensive standpoint is you can defend it very, very well, and these 50-50 balls become 90-10 balls for, for these Washington receivers, and Penix is fearless – when he's feeling it and he can just flick it. And, and again, he's an all three levels kind of guy as far as being able to throw the, the medium ball and deep ball and the short balls. And so even when the play is defensed, they can make a play. Yep. And that's, that's going to be the, where this game is. And then on the other end is, is Washington's run defense good enough? Cause Texas ran the ball on Washington. Yeah. And, and if they did, well, Michigan's better at that. So it, it it's again styles styles and fights and all those things and you know it we we're, I'm not going to start a 20 minute argument with you but had we done the BCS who would be in the national championship game? undefeated Washington and undefeated, undefeated Michigan. Michigan oh there you go and we would have sat work. around and not had two phenomenal games leading up to this point right well and then the other thing and I wrote for us is. I think in five years we're going to miss this four-team setup in some ways. I do. I still think that because we'll see. We'll see. But we don't have to. We that's for another day. Maybe when Brian Driscoll's in here. And I he mean, can. that's the you just made my point for me. We wouldn't have had those two semifinal games. I don't care if it's the same final. Those semifinal games were so great, and now we're going to have eleven playoff games instead of three. So what we're asking why why are we moving? Why are we putting more teams if these last two years were so great? Well, if it's not broke, don't because fix eleven's it. better than three. Oh, I don't know. We'll find out. We'll see. Uh, let's touch on Texas. Uh, what what were your thoughts on them? I mean, 
So yeah, they got to me. It was Washington is an all gas, no breaks kind of offense and team, and they like to go forward. And when they had the lead, they didn't know how to slow it down. Right, you know, it was weird, and they they didn't make Texas spend their timeouts on defense before they kicked that last field goal. Then they, uh, you know, they they just caught bad luck on that Dylan Johnson. If Dylan Johnson doesn't get hurt. It's over. They, they punt with 15 seconds left. I mean, so yeah, well, that was that was. I didn't think it was tactically any sort of choke job or anything. Uh, the silly, silly penalty on the punt. They had a 15 yard penalty that Texas let them start at the 30. All of a sudden, Texas has the ball with 50 seconds left on the 30. Uh, one play earlier, it should have been Texas pinned at their 10 yard line with 10 seconds to go. So. Um, and Texas took advantage. They, they 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 did a good job. Where does this leave Texas? What do you think about you know Sark and their season? And 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 do you have a feeling uh, now that the playoff is over, whether Ewers will come back or whether he'll go to the NFL? I don't know. It well, it's the same thing with the high volume thing. Like yours is a high volume shooter too. He just missed a few more than Penix did, but he still got hot at the end. And I. You know, their quarterback situation makes so he- so many headlines because of who's behind him. If this was John Smith behind Quinn Ewers, we wouldn't be as into this. <laughs> if it was, you know, if it was Bill Grant Bender, we're not into this. Maybe I would be, but like, no. But, we're, um, well, but, but then we're into it for a reason. Don't you want to watch Arch? It's going to be uh, great. I do. Absolutely do. And I think, you know, that picture said it all. That The picture says a thousand words. The one of, and I've been in those scrums where guys <laughs> are sitting at their table and nobody's there. It's the best time to go up to them, by the way. Um, and everybody's over at Arch. But what maybe some people don't understand, I don't want to talk down to people. When you're at those scrums, Arch, that was his first media availability. So, of course, all those reporters are going to be over right. there. And I also so, heard that picture was at the very end of the session. Ewers right. obviously had people talking to right. him earlier in the day and all that. So, the, there's not, that's <laughs> not what you might think, though that's what we're still kind of thinking. So, we'll see if Ewers goes. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about is of these quarterbacks, Milrow obviously staying, but Ewers, McCarthy, Penix how they might stack up in the NFL draft right now. Penix is hot, but you know, I like McCarthy out of the three and I like yours arm talent out of the three, the most, but I don't, I think Penix is more polished than yours. I think McCarthy's kind of that guy that'll be a little bit better at the next level, but risk taker in some unnecessary situations. But as far as Texas goes, Bill, there's no moral victories. I understand that, but for them to get to the playoff, create some momentum to go to the SEC. They're going to be ranked in the top five because he's recruited talent. And here they go. They get in the the conference with everybody else. That's to be a heavyweight. Texas is acting like a heavyweight now, despite the loss. Yes. There's no, no caveats. This was a successful season for them. They have positive momentum despite the loss. They, everybody knows it was a great game and everything like that. Um, and then one, one more quick note on the quarterbacks that you just rattled off. Oh, by the way, Bo Nix threw six touchdowns on Monday as well. So <laughs> yeah, they, they, that, 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 uh, I saw a headline that was like, why aren't people talking about Bo Nix more? Because <laughs> he just played the wrong bowl game. I mean, you know, but yeah, they, they definitely, all of those guys and, you know, Caleb hasn't declared yet, which is weird. Like at least what I've read, he hasn't, it's, he's playing this waiting like game with that. 
He does. And Drake May's out. Obviously, it's a good quarterback class. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, that's that's pretty much all I have on the Sugar Bowl. I mean, it builds up headed yep. to Houston. Missed opportunity, though, for Texas, obviously, with Houston where we're going. You know, I saw how much the ticket sales dropped. Brett, Brett McMurphy reported that. Um, yeah, it would have been bananas if Texas was down there uh, against Michigan and Houston. But this is a good one. Hey, Texas, Michigan. I always remember that Rose Bowl with Vince Young against Michigan the year before. He did what he did against USC. That they had an unbelievable Rose Bowl uh, as well. That that I'll always remember. So, um, take us through your weekend coming up. Flying Friday, Media Day Saturday, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe you and I'll pod after Media Day. We get like the the report. We'll see what my hotel room lighting looks like. Um, so everybody will get to see that. I'm excited flying down to Houston. We will get after media day on Saturday. A couple things you and I talked about that we want to dig into. I mean, the major questions are, okay, how's this Michigan defense going to attack Michael Penix? Mm-hmm. I think that's number one. Uh, number two, you know, the the Harbaugh circus again. You know, what? where's he going? What's he doing? Happy New Year, everybody. How's he going to deflect your question? He, I, I got to send you. I, I, or for the teleconference yesterday, I asked him a question about McCarthy. I got, I think, ten minutes later, the answer, and I'm not sure he answered the question, but it was kind of answered. Um, we're gonna miss him when he's gone if he goes to the NFL. I keep telling people that there are. I'll throw this theory by you, real quickly. Um, how many coaches in college football? are universally either loved or hated across every conference. I would say that list is Saban, Coach Prime, Harbaugh, and then the fringe is like Dabo and Kirby and Ryan Day. After that, you don't – like nobody universally hates Mike Norvell. No. <laughs> you know, so if Harbaugh leaves, that that's what the game loses. You can say, oh, I hate that man and good riddance, but you're not going to hate Sharon more quite the same. <laughs> Just like you didn't hate – Zook after Spurrier left or Florida State's last eight coaches after Bowden. You didn't hate him quite as much. So that we're going to miss that part of it if he does leave. But that's some of the themes we'll get leading up to Monday. Excited to see some of my colleagues. Um, excited to pod there. It's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. We'll get uh, a full report and then I'll be up uh, published probably Sunday or Monday. It's certainly Monday on the lead up to the the national championship game and then of course we will pod after you return from houston we'll break it all down we'll have a new national champion and then we'll have this era will be over and then we'll be on to the new era that's a uh 12 team playoff era super conference era and uh we'll put a we'll put a bow on this era but before we do let's go back to trochi trivia who's the last washington quarterback to win the national championship it too, and they played the next year too uh, against Michigan in the Rose Bowl. But I th- I can't remember. I think Hobert started, and I think Brunel played. So it's both of those guys technically, right? Billy Joe Hobert. Hobert, yeah, that's what I said. He yes, correct. So and then the next, next year, Brunel torched Michigan in the Rose Bowl with Mario Bailey. Right. So nineteen ninety, Mark Brunel was the starter for Washington. And then in the 91 spring game, he got hurt. And Billy Joe Hobart was the starter in the fall, and he was the primary starter the whole season. Uh, Brunel came back, 
saw some action here and there, but really both Billy Joe was, was their national championship QB. And then Brunel t- retook the, uh, starting, the starting job. job when he was yeah. healthy the next year. So, uh, yep. It's Billy Joe Hobart. Well done. So yeah, it was him and, and Brunel. Uh, Hobart was drafted in the third round. Uh, right. They both were in the same draft, three rounds ahead of Brunel. But uh, Brunel here's a here's a quick obscure pull for our listeners that I I'm a, I'll bet you a dollar this happens in the game that they will pull out a clip way back in the '91 '92 Rose Bowl. Remember Desmond won and did the pose. Well, when they got beat by Washington in that Rose Bowl, a receiver named Mario Bailey caught a touchdown and did the Heisman pose right back. I won't be surprised if we see that in some of the media lead up in one of those games. They had some really great Rose Bowls in the 90s. Um, and I'm sure, and when they had a great Rose Bowl where Warren Moon torched Michigan way back in the 80s. So a lot of history with these two that's hidden history, I would call it. Um, can't wait to see it. Can't wait. It'd be cool if Warren Moon came to the game. He is Houston. And they're playing next October. Yep. So this is little, uh, it won't be the last of the Michigan and Washington uh, showdowns. They'll be Big Ten brothers. So, all right. Well, very good. Good show. Excited. This is what we uh, podcast for all season. Can't wait to get it started on Monday night. Thank you to everyone for listening to the CFP Nation All-America podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Irish Breakdown, your source for Notre Dame football information. Our next show, of course, will be when Bill is in Houston. uh, And we will obviously prepare you for everything that's going on down there uh, ahead of Monday night's national championship game. So enjoy the rest of your day, and we will see you soon.